Hi, I'm Warren Davies, the Unbreakable Farmer, and welcome to the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast, where I have the privilege to be joined by some amazing people I get to meet in my travels and share their stories and wisdom with you. After all, one of the most powerful assets of any community is the shared wisdom, and the best way to share that wisdom is through storytelling. So sit back and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, today's guest, um, my intro is going to be short and sweet because I actually want to get into the conversation. It's going to be uh, really good. But my guest today has a passion to provide not, uh, better life opportunities for, for children. Um, he's the CEO of Cottage by the Sea. Um, and I'd right, really like to welcome to the podcast today, Adam Wake. Um, Adam, thanks for joining me today, mate. It's uh, it's a real privilege to have you on. And and I'm sure our conversation is going to um, cover a, a fair bit today, but um, obviously um, both our passions and for those that don't know, I'm an ambassador at Cottage by the Sea and um, get to witness firsthand this this amazing Blake's um, passion um, and for his for his job and career and, and for the kids that come through the cottage. So, mate, thanks for coming on and I'm looking forward to our chat. Thanks, Warren. So am I. Thanks so much for for having me on. I'm looking forward to see where we where we go with this. It'll be good because um yeah you've got got a bit of a varied, well not so much background but your education you've um you've got a a, a fair resume to to work through. But um tell me a little bit just about you and and um you know a bit about your background and and then we'll we'll move into how you've got into this um the space that you're working in now. Yeah, how do, you, how do you summer, um, I don't know, 50 years up? Uh, but I, look, yeah, I've always loved the outdoors, Warren. Um, always been really passionate in getting out and getting camping. Um, I went to university. I, I loved school, I should say. I often hear people say how they didn't enjoy um, school. I absolutely loved it. I find if you put your hand up to do things, you get involved with more, you find where your passions lay and you, you, you get a better opportunity to enjoy what you're doing. But, yeah, I loved school. I loved university. I went on to law school, uh, probably enjoyed law a little less than the other things I'd done. I don't know why I ended up down that path. But um, after a stint in investment management, um, which I was never any good at, to be honest, um, I found my way back into the outdoors and working with children in need and just absolutely fell in love with the sector. So when you say you don't know why you went down the law path, was that a family <laughs> thing or was that just all... I'm good at school. I might go down to do law, a law degree. <laughs> well, I don't know how good at school I was, to be honest. I enjoyed it. I don't know how good I was at it. But look, you know, it's probably mum and dad were very passionate about following a career path. So I think I followed probably their dreams more than anything else. Um, I don't know if my parents saw outdoor ed as a, nor did I even um, perceive it as a vocation, uh, outdoor education. It wasn't until I was 30 years old I found myself in Australia working for Outward Bound um, in the ACT as an outdoor ed instructor. I loved it. But, yeah, so I found my way. So those that don't know what outdoor ed is, explain a little bit about that and that field of work. And, and obviously that's led from 
um, you know, from one thing to another in, in your career and obviously sees you at the cottage now, but tell us what Outdoor Ed is. Outdoor education was something that was pretty much born from the Second World War, actually, when people realised that uh, you can't just jump on a ship. It's as simple as this. You can't jump on a ship um, and hope to survive if, um, well, this is a, a, a literal story, actually. A guy called Kurt Hahn was right at the forefront of outdoor education when um, he was approached by um, the owner of a shipping line. Um, the, the ships were getting blown out of the water by German torpedoes, um, and he couldn't understand the owner that the, the old sea dogs, the ones who you know, were, were less physically fit, were surviving over the 18-year-old green behind the ears, I guess, young men who were on the boats. They were all drowning, sadly. Um, and he asked Kurt Hahn to look into that. And they found out that uh, once Kurt Hahn took him into the bush, um, or in the Scottish Highland, Highlands back then, actually, um, and get, gave them an intense four-week um, training period to understand what do you need to do? You need to slow down and think about your surroundings. Um, there was a very real um, uh, spike in the younger men surviving in those occurrences. And outdoor education has grown over the last 80 to 90 years as a result. And you get kids outdoors, you get them out, you get them off the computer. That's where we're at now, of course, and the phones and you get them outdoors and the mountains speak for themselves. They will learn more about themselves and they'll become stronger. It is an incredible, the outdoors is an incredible tool to help facilitate positive change in a better life. And that's what we do. Yeah, so that career you said, did that start in Canberra with Outward Bound? That was the starting point when you entered the, the outdoor ed space? Yeah, I was, I was lucky enough to experience Outward Bound in Abu Dhabi, Wales, when I was 17 years old. Um, I won an award that gave me a week with Outward Bound. And then um, 15 years later, yes, I really came back to it in Australia. They ran um, the greatest training program that I could find. I looked all over the world for the best, what I saw as the best outdoor education training program. And, um, yeah, they ran that Outward Bound in Tharwa. ACT. From there, where did you head then? Once you uh, once you left Outward Bound, where did you head? So from there, Warren, um, I had met a girl in Australia, and we did end up getting married, and we have a couple of lovely children now. And um, so the two of us travelled back to England together. And um, after running a, a, a youth at risk program in Scotland for a little while, it was a startup. Uh, successfully ran for a year, but unfortunately ended up folding. We took a job in an outdoor ed centre in southern England. Um, and from there, after a stint of travel and work through South America, I ended up here in Australia and in the mountains in Victoria in Gippsland. Um, yeah. Planned on two years there working with um, disadvantaged children. And nearly 12 years later, we left and came to Cottage by the Sea. Yep. So that, um, so that, um, place in it was in Lacola wasn't it that's where it was what was that's that right, yeah I'm by the Lions Club it's an amazing um, organization again offering life-changing camps for um, children who lack opportunity so totally um different landscape to where you are now so in the mountains and you know surrounded by trees and all that so it would have been a different kind of um, experience different camps for the kids than what they experience at the cottage at the moment. Um, tell us a little bit about what 
what the the programs down at Lacola were um, all about. So you're right there. The surroundings, a giant river, the McAllister River, the uh, mountains, the trees, um, a huge centre, 270 beds, um, 50 years owned under the Lions uh, Service Group um, organisation. And, yeah, the children, we had all the facilities on site. So the children rarely left site, actually. It was a big property, um, 270 beds, as I say, um, huge dining room, huge indoor areas. But it was the river, so canoeing, high ropes, low ropes, mountain biking, um, all of the standard camp-type activities. Um, but again, working with that same contingent or similar contingent of children, um, of families who um, otherwise wouldn't get some of those experiences in the outdoors. Yeah. So before before we move on, obviously, we're both uh, really passionate about the cottage. But before we move on to that, I just want to talk a little bit about you a little bit more and obviously you're a family man um anyone that gets to meet you knows um your boundless enthusiasm and and energy well that's that's definitely you know what i pick up on um you're a busy man how do you how do you balance work family life that that would be a big challenge I think it's the juggle for everyone, Warren, isn't it? I mean, the boys, our two sons, 12 and 13 now, are the reason we made the move from the mountains. As awesome as the mountains are, the ocean is something special. Um, And that makes me think again of the majority of the children who come through Cottage have never had the good fortune to even see the ocean. And that's shocking, as it is amazing. But our boys, look, they're thriving down here. They get in the water. Son told me this week he wants to take up surfing. Isn't that gorgeous? So how do I get the balance right? I probably don't always get it right. Um, We had a 13-hour day here yesterday at college. Um, It was a great day. It was wonderful. When I got home, wife and boys were um, were sound asleep. But um, I had three notes on a on a chair that was flipped around from the dining room table so that as I walked in through the door, there was a note from each of the family. And it was just lovely telling me about their day. You know, I scored three goals in roller hockey last night, that kind of thing. But um, I got to chat to the boys this morning and I'll be taking, I've got a rooftop tent on my car right now to take the boys camping at the weekend. So I don't know, how'd you get the balance right? It's always a juggle. Yeah, it's it's always a juggle, but um, that love of outdoors. Obviously, if you're going to take the boys camping, um, there's also another side to you where you're like stepping right outside your comfort zone and and doing some crazy things as well. <laughs> so tell tell us a little bit about that because once again, um, if anyone gets the privilege of meeting you, probably don't come across as this extreme. Um, you know, trying to do extreme things, but tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've um, pushed the boundaries on as far as in the outdoors. You didn't warn me you'd ask me that question. Um, (laughs) um, It probably came came from a friend of mine called McBluff uh, at university. We were talking about an incredible race in the Sahara Desert, 226 miles, I think it was. Uh, or 226 kilometers. I got it wrong. Back back in 2006, he called me bluff, called my bluff, and had entered something called the Marathon de Sable or the Maratoni de Sable, and um, he had entered, so I had to. <laughs> so um, we competed in that event um, over six or seven days. Uh, we both finished, but I w- I went on to compete in some 
some other multi-day uh, ultra distance marathons. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I did one across New Zealand, which was 238 kilometers with my brothers. That was five brothers shoulder to shoulder for 18 hours, shouting at each other a bit because um, <laughs> we're competitive. Um, one in the Amazon jungle, which was 222 kilometers, um, all self-sufficient. So you have to carry a backpack and go through swamps. We got attacked by hornets and all sorts of horrible stuff. Um, and recently, oh, not so recently, back in 2020, actually, I did one where we were dropped on a mountain top on the border of Ecuador and Belize. And it was the first uh, event of its type where you started with no food. Um, and five days, four hours and 20 minutes later, we emerged from uh, the jungle on the coast in Belize. And you had to find your own food during that event, of course, as well. So it was absolutely awful, but amazing stories. And you meet incredible people on these events. That's what's really, I guess, driven my passion um, for um, it's what that's what's promoted my passion um partly being in outdoor education as well you're always asking children warren to to step outside of their comfort zones and i think modern day life it prevents us from doing that we we do essentially lead quite easy lives um myself included um and if it wasn't for these events i reckon i'd be pretty lazy sitting on the couch and maybe having a beer in the evening every evening if i didn't force myself not to but by having to compete in these events. And um, um, I think if you're going to ask children to do something, you have to be prepared to do it yourself. So that's why I've continued to compete. I think that's the, the, the true definition of leadership. I think you can't expect someone um, to do something unless you're prepared to do it yourself. And that's it. You know, like Absolutely. even managing dairy farms for me was the same thing. You know, if it was something an undesirable job needed to be done while I was prepared to do it at the same time. Just uh, in that, like that's just amazing to think you get dropped on the top of a mountain <laughs> by a helicopter with no food. So what sort of planning and training goes into that that sort of event? That's just mind-blowing to me, like that, you know, <laughs> did you have to sharpen up your hunting skills or anything like that beforehand or um, how did you how did you plan and prepare for that? That, that makes me laugh about one story when you say hunting. No, I mean, look, I, I, I love fishing and that's actually what got us to the end. There were only actually four people who finished that event. But there was one moment in it that um, a mate who wasn't a great swimming, you competed in that event with one other person. Um, and I went with a guy who um, wasn't sure if, um, uh, if it was his kind of thing. You know, he wasn't a great swimmer, but he'd never done anything like it in his life. But he turned he turned out to be a tough cookie and, and, and help me get to the end. I don't think we would have got there if it if it wasn't for him, particularly on day three when I crumbled. But at one at one point, talking about the hunting, um, he wasn't a great swimmer, but he came past me swimming up river in one section faster than faster than a motorboat, and just said crocodile at me as he came past because he'd seen a crocodile sitting on the bank. <laughs> and I was thinking. Well, surely that's an opportunity to eat something. It was day three and we hadn't eaten much. <laughs> uh, right. Anyway, the crocodile took off. Right. Um, so well. tra training, it's its just about endurance. It's just time on feet. So uh, uh, preparation, you just, 
a lot of it comes down to what's what's going on in your mind. If you convince yourself you can't, you won't. And if you think about the finish, you won't get there. You just have to think about each hour as it comes. And um, I think that's probably true on any major project. You just take it bit by bit. Um, Preparation, the gear you take, um, you have to have that spot on. And some of that gear comes from other places around the world. And, yeah, you just have to be meticulous in that planning. Yeah. No, it's uh, yeah, it's amazing to think that you know you look at these reality TV shows on on TV, and you know, I've had some friends that, like recently on the the Amazing Race, and um, they did only lasted one day. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, but you look at all these um, reality TV shows, and you you don't know how much of that is real or not. But you know, obviously, yours is not you, the events that you do aren't like publicised events, and yeah most people don't know that these events are going on and um, you haven't got a TV crew following you or the support staff or a producer or anything like that. It's just, yeah, get dropped on the top of a mountain and then you have to um, yeah, fend for yourself. It's, yeah, amazing. Warren, I, I, I mentioned to you um, amazing people. I've got a flood of stories coming into my mind of people I've met on these events. One woman um, sadly didn't get past day three on that last one in 2020 in the Ecuador Belize thing. But she um, she's uh, a, she's a doctor. Um, she's done the Doctors Without Borders. Um, yep. She um, has since stood on the summit of Mount Everest. <laughs> um, she's learned to fly a plane. And her most recent endeavor was climbing um, a mountain in Europe and base jumping off the summit. <laughs> It's just crazy people out there. And and the other end of that spectrum was a girl I met in and the Amazon. It took 90 hours to get to the heart of the Amazon. We're talking very, very remote. 90 hours it took me from here. Um, eight plane flights and a boat for 24 hours up a major river. But one of the girls I met was one of the toughest characters I've ever met in my life. And this is the unusual bit of the story is that She'd never run further than 10 kilometers as she arrived at this event, and it was 222 kilometers. She carried a mirror and a makeup pack on the event. And every morning, she was from Essex, which is also where I happen to come from, Platinum on Sea. She was from that neck of the woods. She put on a full war paint, full makeup, eyeliner, false ash, eyelashes, lipstick, foundation at the start of every single day. It obviously didn't look like that at the end of the day, but she finished in the top 10. Yeah, it's just surely that shows it's mind over matter. Yeah, what an incredible woman. Yeah, no, I'd like to. Yeah, as you said, if you if you start off with thinking about the end or the next day or whatever, you just got to take it a step at a time, basically, into something like that. But some of the places that you've been to, you've said like the Amazon and that, and then and and growing up in Essex, totally different environments and that is a just mind-blowing because for someone like me who hasn't done done much traveling obviously I've done a fair bit in the last few weeks around Australia but internationally is it mind-blowing to think like where I grew up and this is what it looks like and now I'm I'm here and it's just like it's worlds apart isn't it it is worlds apart um I you know after my first trip around the world uh, when I was about 20 I I hitchhiked a lot, of, a lot of that. But um, when I got back home, some of the boys I used to have a beer with um, were still sitting on the same stool. And it's no disrespect to those guys. I've chosen a different a different way. Um, lovely fellas, you know. Um, it is a world apart, I guess. I don't really think about it 
Um, to be honest, Warren, uh, I'm in an amazing place here. I'm looking over the top of my computer here out of the cottage window. I'm looking at the heads of Port Phillip Bay and, you know, I'm just looking at the ocean and this is where our kids that come through get to swim. I, d- I don't really reflect on it. I don't know how to answer it. If, yeah, I'm, no, just, as, just I, I suppose when I say worlds apart, like the environment is to, like you go from Essex in, in England to the middle of a remote jungle in the middle of the Amazon. It's just totally, it would just be mind-blowing. You know, it would be sensory overload. No, it's certainly that. It does take a long while um, to process the ex- any travelling. Um, travelling doesn't uh, isn't necessarily easy. It's not an extended holiday. But when you go overseas for a long time, particularly through third world countries, I, I would advocate that all young people should do that. I know the world is a different place than when I started 30 years ago, but um, it does take a long time. I drove an auto rickshaw 4,000 kilometres through India once. And that is the biggest culture shock that anybody could ever have. Um, And it took months, if not years, to process that sensory overload. India is a remarkable place with wonderful people, but it is a true bombardment to every sense that you have. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. Like, as I said, for someone that's not travelled, my son at the moment's in America and he's sending back pictures and he's at – you know, at the Kennedy Space Center yesterday and he's been to mm. Florida and all that and just the things that you see. Like, and I know myself, it doesn't matter where I travel or where I speak in Australia, like you rock into a, a regional town and it's all got their differences, but they can be different. Like there's all little differences and you, if, once you start looking at it, and especially if you're on the go all the time, it, you, you, it takes a while until you get that opportunity to reflect to go oh geez that was a great place or you know that was beautiful or that sometimes you just see it you, you keep moving and then it takes you a while until later on you go wow I can't even believe that I've been there like it's you know that's amazing um, 100% moving on to obviously our our joint passion and that's Cottage by the Sea um a lot of people that follow me on socials will know a bit about Cottage because they see po- posts and stuff like that. Um, but I'd like to hear it from you. Um, tell us about Cottage, about a bit about its background, and then we'll talk about its programs and, and some of the other work that Cottage does. So can you give yeah. us a little bit of background around the Cottage? I think it's important to note when you talk about Cottage that 133 years ago, um, two Elderly ladies who'd sailed from England arrived through the heads here at Port Phillip Bay and they looked over to their left and they saw this scrubby area and and thought to themselves initially that what an amazing place that would be to try and help children, nurture them back from ill health into better health. And um, they set up the first timber building here in the late 1800s. Um, they, along with a couple of other ladies, set up a number of these um, facilities around the world in many countries, and this is the only one that still exists. And it's never ceased to exist or stopped its operation through two world wars. 133 years now it's been going, working with children, never changing its mission um, to help provide better life opportunities. So that really sort of covers it. What an incredible vision from those two ladies back in 1890. No, it's just uh, it, uh, amazing when you when you look at other organisations and that, and then you start putting those numbers. You know that hundred and thirty odd years of 
of history. It's just amazing to to think that well, there's probably you know that's really a rare thing for any sort of organisation and business or anything to still be in in um, you know still operating after that long. So there's obviously something special, and we both know that there is about Cottage. Um, tell us about the development of the programs and um, yeah, and, and what what that caters for and and the kids that come through. Yeah, thanks, Warren. Um, Yeah, obviously, as I said, the mission hasn't changed over all that time, but the programs have evolved significantly, particularly in the last 20, 30 years. So we run a a number of programs now. We're really lucky to actually have a relationship with Deakin University, a 10-year memorandum of understanding, and they um, just produced a paper um, on um, a research paper on our, our take a break sort of a flagship program in a way we'll have um, last year we had over a thousand children through on just that one program where kids um, are selected um, from various various groups as you know um, Warren we've had um, 15 school groups from Far East Gippsland come through who were all um, quite horribly impacted by the 1920 um, bushfires over that way Um, so those kids were selected to come to us over the last few years and um, yeah, it's an amazing program. It runs between three and five days. Um, and Deacon have shown us the impact on those children and their communities. They've actually just started a deeper dive into, um, I'm sorry, I might be digressing again, Warren, but um, on the Take a Break program, they've started to look into the deeper um, side of things on how long um, our programs do impact and benefit those children in particular. And we've had... Well, I know I'm digressing again. I apologise. That's all do, good, but, mate. That's um, all good, mate. It's all about the conversation, and this is good stuff to know. Like, because you know, it's it's really interesting with the with the cottage, and 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 obviously, you know, it's not a Geelong or a Queenscliff based organisation. The cottage caters for people from all over the state. Like, we've got um, from my area here. We've had kids from you know primary schools. Um, experience the cottage and, and, you know, some of those are life-changing experiences for them. And so it's really good for people to understand. So I don't mind you digressing. So tell us, you know, tell us what that report uh, has, has shed light on and, and in the impact that it does have on kids. If it's okay, I might tell you a couple of stories. I mean, the report is phenomenal. Everybody, if you're looking at this, please look up Cottage by the Sea. The report is on our website. Um, and we've even included a four-page summary of that if you don't want to read all 70 pages. Um, but um, you asked about the evolution of the programs. Dorothy Hepburn, she won't mind me mentioning her name, 96 years old, came back to cottage last year. It was 86 years after her visit here as a child, and she told us she'd never forgotten her time here, but it's about the evolution of the program. She came on a holiday that was less structured to the ones we run now. So 86 years later, she came back. She she went down our slide here on site. I don't know if I should say that, but um, <laughs> um, <laughs> a wonderful. How do you say no to a 96-year-old lady who doesn't ask? She just comes in and tells you she's going to go down the slide. So you, you stand back and, um, and, uh, and let it go. And she had a great time and relived some of those memories. But the structure of the program, particularly Take a Break Now, is all of those kids get incredible experiences. One of our ex-board members, Bob, said to me, a lot of the children come 
I mentioned a lot of them haven't seen the ocean and they come with a relatively blank sheet of paper. Um, a principal also once told me that um, the kids who come from his school um, have three things in their lives and rarely get anything else. And it's their school, uh, the street that they live on and the local shop. Um, so what Bob said about the blank sheet of paper is that the kids come here and we'll take them out to see the dolphins and they'll swim with seals and um, we'll take them fishing and they all go home with fishing gear and um, they're all splashes of colour on that canvas and a lot of that colour stays with them for life. I thought that was a really good way of looking at it um, when Bob said that to me once but um, the evolution of the programmes has gone on from the holiday, the take a break programme. Some children are identified um, from their school units to to maybe deserve something a little bit more. Maybe they lack uh, opportunity in other areas for one reason or another. And they join us in year six um, on a reef program, year six and year seven. Many of them graduate and move on to our mentor program through to year 12. And those young adults um, come 36 different times to cottage or elsewhere in Victoria. Um, uh, we actually even take that group to Sydney. Um, we're a very uh, generous American um, financial institute, actually, that pays for that program to Sydney. Kids never been on a plane, never stayed in a hotel. They get to climb over the Sydney Harbour Bridge with some of the staff from the that financial services organisation. So that is incredible, an incrementally designed program. I've been in the sector for 20 years and I've seen nothing like it anywhere. It's truly life-changing. And, and it's, a, yeah, some of those experiences that those kids get is amazing. And, and, and even going back, like you said, about those stories from, you know, from the past that was, was just a holiday. I can remember you and I had a conversation with at the fair this year with the guy that, you know, we just bumped into when we were having, you were showing me around the new facilities and he said, I think it was 50 years and, you know, and the only reason he ended up there was to give his mum a little bit of respite after his dad had passed away and I'm thinking, and he's, and he's back there and he was re reminiscing all that stuff, even though the, the cottage obviously in the last couple of years has, has changed um, in appearance, especially out the back. Um, he was reminiscing of, you know, his time there and, and how great that was and, and, and that's just so powerful and, and those memories for those kids are continuing on today and, you know, you actually said uh, something that I wanted to pick up on there, like that the cottage has been um, travelling along for, you know, that 130-odd years, um, but there's something that's really interesting about the cottage and, and, it, and it's also, like I talk in my presentations a lot about the power of community and, and the power of the cottage community is amazing. It's something that, you know, I just... I've get totally blown away by um so the cottage isn't government funded um it's it's something that's you know for a, an organization like cottage by the sea and it's not government funded it's that's amazing so tell us a little bit about the support that that we get from you know from the community at large like it's not just you know local community either no, as I, well, I just mentioned the American Bank. How's that to support that one program every single year for the last 10 years? But what, we're, a, we're a proud to be a values-driven organisation, and one of those values um, is actually on a big board. Well, all five of our values are on a big board as you actually walk into the entrance. 
of Cottage by the Sea. Everything, everything we do, every decision we take is based on those values. One of them is community. And yesterday stood a great example of that. Um, we're lucky enough to host the Melbourne Cup and um, um, we, we were chosen as one of 41 destinations around the world. And um, the team here immediately started talking about um, we've got to involve the community. So we just threw it out there. 13 hours and many visits and a very tired um, entourage of people followed the cup around yesterday, but everybody got involved, you know. There were no egos. Everybody just wanted to share and be involved. And and at the end of the day, I don't know how many, but we've got 20, 30, maybe $40,000 has come into the account as a result of donations from our local community just being there and having the chance to see the cup. But that we've been supported by our grassroots community um, for well, for 130 plus years. Um, without that support, we don't exist. Um, a lot of the money comes in through trusts and foundations as well. What is a community? It's everybody. You know, I don't believe you can truly have a value of community unless everybody is invited to be involved. We've got hundreds of volunteers that help us. And without those guys, and they always diminish themselves when they say, oh, I'm not that important. They are. Every single one of them adds something to what we do. And they're very much part of our community. Um, and we love having them. They're part of the family. And it is like a family. Um, you mentioned the renovation in 2020. We're all access now as well. So if you don't have access, I don't think you can be a true community either. So. I don't even know if I'm answering your question, and I apologise again. No, you are. Um, yeah, it's, exactly, it's painting a real picture we, of what the cottage is about. We don't take government funding for programmes, and that is actually quite an important aspect of what we do. And I think you un you understand that absolutely. Absolutely, I didn't 100% get it when I got here. Um, thinking I came from the other organisation in Lakola, where any money was good money because it helped me get kids there. But now I know that. Not any, any money is the same uh, or any donation, donation being in kind uh, or, or monetary because we run the programs that we've evolved over a long, long time and we know that they work. That is helped by the likes of independent research. But we can't have or we can't risk that being influenced by anybody externally um, because we know what we do works, as I, as I say. So, And if we were to take government funding, there may, may be the risk of that. So we're yep. very passionate about holding on to our focus. We're lucky enough to have a foundation, Warren, that, that pays for the majority of our administration costs. So when somebody donates a dollar, that dollar goes to the child, and that's awesome. Yeah, and that and that's a really important thing as well is that, uh, you know, obviously with any organisation there's running costs and that, but a lot of the money from, from those people those those people in the community goes to running these programs, and which is absolutely um fantastic talking about um the programs and obviously you know we've talked about the take a break and and the reef and mentoring programs um the kids get to experience you know especially the mentors over a, a long period of time what are some of the stories that you hear from those kids in the oh. mentor program um some of the experiences and some of the life-changing i suppose things um you know a couple of those stories come to mind for me, but what are some of the stuff that you hear from those kids and, and how does it change their life? 
so many stories. Which what? Where do I go with this? Um, we're so lucky to every week getting new stories, and I mean that absolutely no exaggeration. Every single week. Well, it's not just life changing. In some cases, so this is the first thing that comes to the forefront is life saving, um, and I, I I can't get into any great detail because um, the individual who told me the story, it was quite obvious. A thank you to myself and one other person. Not thank you to me for being there and involved at the time, but just for the fact the cottage is still continuing. And this person has now moved on um, to bigger and better things, but um, actually said sitting on the snow, we took the mentor, we take the mentors to the snow every year and sitting on the snow, uh, having an epiphany, um, which ultimately saved their life. Um, And I'm really... It, 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 it produced tears listening to this account of this young adult on the journey that they went through and that Cottage was, actually one person at Cottage was instrumental in helping them see a, a, a new future. Are you able to... We'll go straight on to another story. Oh, do you want to ask a question? No, no, you go. You go straight on to another story, mate. You go, you go. We've got an amazing uh, pin-up girl here who... Uh, she came through the whole program. Um, she's one of our members of staff. I say pin up in the sense that she came on 36 different programs with us. She had started on Take a Break, and then she came 36 more times. And she said she wouldn't have gone on to study at university. She comes back here to work with us as a casual employee now. She said she loves that because when the kids try and get away with things, she says, I know, because it's what I try to get away with. <laughs> she's an amazing young woman just completed a double degree in paramedicine and nursing. And um, she said if uh, she hadn't had the opportunities through here, I'm not entirely sure she should put all the all that credit on us because she's a remarkable young woman. I think she would have always been successful in life. Some people have just got what it takes, I think, and yeah. other people might, might need to be shown a, a crack in a door to take hold of an opportunity and grab it with both hands. But grab it, she did. Yeah. And... Um, that's just wonderful to see her. I can't can't imagine where she'll end in life. She's going to be um, she's going to be one of the, tomorrow's leaders. So I'm not going yeah. to get into any names. I've got one more story from you, if that's all right. No, that's if cool. I'm not bombarding you. No, mate, a little go. girl came through. There's a little girl came through uh, earlier this year, and she was such a light. She was dancing around the um, the dining room. And I was just off down the corridor to go to the toilet, but um, I, I, I moved, I, instead of turning right, I turned left because I could just see it bouncing. I thought, I've got to go and have a chat to this girl. And um, she sat on the floor, I sat on the floor with her and I asked her about a day and she said she'd been swimming with seals and there was a stingray with a huge tail and she jumped in the air and her hands launched out to tell me the size of the, the tail on the stingray, the stingray was huge. And my heart broke in the moment because I saw damage in her mouth and she had some sores in her mouth and um, and her teeth were really black. She was only six years old and oh, I, just, I just deflated that moment. And it obviously hadn't affected her at all because um, she was just such a beautiful light. And um, I... I was just pouring my heart out to board members and other ambassadors. And, you know, I get calls from you guys all the time, which I love hearing. Never stop that, please. And one of the ambassadors said, well, my mate is actually my best mate, is um, the leading orthodontist in the area. And perhaps we can connect the families. And um, 
they've done that and it's complete it's sort of something that sits outside of the normal operation of cottage but um they've guaranteed at no cost to grandma she was a grandma and no cost to grandma she will have beautiful white teeth by the time she's at in her adulthood and they'll make sure they keep them out an eye on her oh just isn't that amazing no they're, they're the amazing stories. It's the other stuff too. Like it's, yeah, obviously the programs and and the care and, and the life-changing things, but it's all that other stuff that along the side is just, a, just amazing and, and some of the stuff that Cottage does that goes above and beyond. And that was the story that I, I was hoping that you're able to share. You shared with me, um, I reckon I was on Fair Day as well, about that the young fella that... Um, I'm just trying to think of the story when he went into the the sea and his mum never thought that she'd see him smile. Can you share that story, mate? Yeah, I I, I can. Um, I remember it was about a year or so ago now, this one. Um, He did have um, an acquired brain injury um, and initially it was considered, and not by the team here, but it was considered that maybe it couldn't happen. He couldn't come with his school uh, mates. Um, but again, in the background, we've got an amazing program team that um, they see the individual, not the group, not just numbers. We have to report on numbers, but they see the individuals. So through the school's permission to mum, our program's manager actually spoke directly with mum and said, well, why don't you just come on the program and then you can be an extra hand and be there if needed. So they came and you do have one amazing image in my, in my mind, actually, where uh, the lad has been pushed out with a noodle out in the middle of Port Phillip Bay here um, to see the dolphins and a, uh, he saw a stingray as well, actually. But um, an Australian first seal um, came up and started nudging him in the tummy. And that's, to my knowledge, has never happened before, never happened since. But just an amazing moment. And mum was in tears and we're all in tears because she's saying, I didn't realise my boy could have these experiences in life. And now I know why does he need to be limited? He doesn't. <laughs> no, and that that's an amazing outcome for, you know, someone that may be by community pigeonholed into some sort of thing. You've you've opened that crack in the door for that 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 young fella to be able to then, you know, explore what he is actually, what his potential is. And that's that's the amazing part. I think that's the amazing part about Cottage by the Sea. And like you said, it at, you know, they mightn't be completely life-changing experiences, but you can just open that door, even if it's just a little bit of light coming through. People can see that they're worthy, um, they are capable, mm. and then they can follow their dreams. And that's, the, you know, that's the amazing part of the program. So I think um, you've touched on a few times, um, and that's another thing that really, you know, blows me away about Cottages, and that's the team. Um, the The guys and girls that are the, you know, that run the programs that are, are there. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about, you know, them and their backgrounds and how, like, because a lot of them don't work there full time. They just, they're only there part time. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the, well, the enjoyment as the CEO, you see watching your team, um, you know, carry out the programs. Yeah, they are amazing on the program side. And you said they're not here um, full time. A lot of them are casuals. Um, that's by choice, but they are basically here full time. Um, they choose to be casuals. That fits with their lifestyle. A lot of them are younger, either um, uh, teaching qualifications and or 
uh, outdoor education qualifications. So our, our team need to be highly trained in not just the harder skills of, you know, being able to run a safe canoe session, but also the softer skills of when do you jump on a moment? When is a teaching opportunity for an individual or a group as a whole to be able to recognise that thing in real life as well? But, uh, yeah, it's amazing um, to see. We've probably got about half and half. Half of the team are permanents, whether it's part-time or full-time, and the rest are casuals, but the majority of those casuals are here almost full-time. Yeah. So and it's great to see. They're amazing, like they're amazing young people as well. Like it's even, it's really um, refreshing having lots of conversations with those with those guys as well because they're just you know so passionate about what they're doing um, and they've got the kids in mind. Um, I'm really conscious, mate, because I know you're a, you're a busy man and you've got lots to do. So I better start winding up because you know we could talk for hours. And um, I feel I feel we could. <laughs> yeah, we, we we could, and but I'm I'm really glad like you've come on, um, you know, not only to share a little bit of your own personal experiences, but also to shed some some light on Cottage because it it is a great organisation, and I know um, in recent weeks, and I think this week coming up, you know, from my area, there's been some local schools that have been flood affected that are, are getting to experience the Cottage, which. Um, you know, that's amazing work, you know, to give those kids that have, you know, for the last 12 months have, um, you know, been under the pump a little bit, you know, whether it's, you know, we've just come out of COVID and then they've been flooded and, you know, their schooling's been interrupted and, you know, and obviously their home life's been interrupted for a lot of them, you know, being dislocated either from their community or from their their home, where they call home. Um, and some of those are still ongoing issues for some of those communities. So it's amazing that, you know, the cottage can open their doors and, and give those kids just that little bit of respite away from home, give them new experiences and, and that's really important, you know. That's that's really really great work. One one of the principals from those schools um, said the fact that we go and pick the groups up as well. We've got our own um, our own buses, so we'll send the staff out sometimes even the day before if it's a long way away. <clears throat> and all the teacher, all the principals said that she had to think about was what to put in a bag, and that's and we actually provide that list as well. So <laughs> then she can focus on the. Then she can focus on the needs of the children. Um, that was really nice to hear. She was another one who had us in tears talking about the importance of uh, the program. Yeah, no, it's um, it's just fantastic work, and it and it's why you know I'm you know always privileged to to be involved with um with the team and with and with what the cottage does, and um, if I can. Uh, advocate in any way the importance of the programs that are run there even though it's tucked down there a long way away from where I am um, tucked down there on the bay it's still really important and and you know catering for the kids of regional Victoria as well so it's important so I'm glad that you've been able to 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 shed a little bit of light on um, you know what the cottage does and how important that is and I've just dropped my list of questions but I want to finish off with a few questions for you, mate, and I've given you a bit of a heads up, so hopefully you'll be able to answer these for me. Um, and, like, we've talked about some of the stuff that you do, but, you know, you do see some stuff at the cottage that would really pull at the heartstrings and, you know, obviously a busy man and a family man. What do you do for yourself, for your self-care? What are some of your strategies? Um, well, running was a big thing. I've been a bit lazy over the last couple of years. Um, 
So self-care for me was physical activity. I say was. I am just on the cusp of signing up to something called the Ice Ultra, <laughs> which is another 200 kilometer um, running race, but in in uh, the Arctic. But um, so that will get me back on that path again of self-care. I think it's really important. It's a great question. And I've let that go a bit. So for me, it is, it, it's become, um, and that won't ever get lost, is camping with the kids. Um, yeah. I, I take them on expeditions. Sometimes there's an awesome place in the high country called Tali Khan. And if you have not, if you're a walker and you haven't been there, you have to. It's one of the best. It's one of the jewels of Australia. Tali Khan, it's called. Anyway, I'll, I've taken the boys there in the past and it's a so, four day hike. And we'll, so whereabouts is that? Can you help? Where is that in Victoria? Head east of Melbourne on the M1. You hit a place called Tralgan. Um, turn left in Tralgan. You'll need to Google Maps it, of course, and yeah. then you'll hit Lacola. An yeah. hour later, turn right at Lacola, and another two hours up the road there, you'll find the starting point. But right. it is just an amazing place. Deep. Yeah. Um, spiritual feeling, um, it's incredible history there. I can't get into that now. I'm no. waffling. I apologise. No. Um, yeah, camping with the kids, camping, and I've taken up golf. I'm rubbish, but I love it. Ah, so planning for the next cottage by the sea golf day. Um, Adam's going to be taking out the title. Long way off. Yeah, no. <laughs> Who inspires you, mate? I think it, I probably need to answer that question in the what inspires me rather than the who. Um, and you, you did touch on that we we see things that pull on your heartstrings. We see some and hear of some, you know, some of what, some of the toughest things that life can throw at a young person, stuff you should never experience, but you have to. Some people, it's just their journey, some kids, and, the inspiration comes from it's the yin of the yang if you like it's the generosity of others there are so many people that support our work and so many other awesome awesome charities out there and that really inspires me um to do our best um many of them give without wanting any recognition um and some even say strictly on anonymity if i can say that word and that is yeah. very inspiring yeah no that's a, a good answer um are you a reader i love books so yep. what's your what's your favorite book i can't know how can you answer that what one favorite book but well, come on, in my attempt to do there must be one when, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a recent book I read, but look, I'll, I'll read anything. I love true stories, um, yeah. anything that's about true life and adventure. I've read every book I could ever find on Antarctica. Um, but a recent book from uh, that's set in Afghanistan um, and highly recommend it is Three Cups of Tea. I thought it was an awesome story of adventure um, and um the plight of uh, girls in Afghanistan and the importance of education in this world. It is a privilege and it's our children, mine included, don't and can't, of course, fully uh, have, the, uh, have the perception or understanding of what a privilege it is. And that's a great book, Three Cups of Tea. Highly right. recommend it. Right, great recommendation, mate. Now the last question, which is, for some guests on the podcast is a tough question, but if you had 
the opportunity to invite five people to dinner. Now, we're going to exclude family here, um, and these people can um, be past or present, you know, alive or not with us anymore. Who would those five people be? Am I cooking? Well, if you want to cook, you can, mate. It depends how... (laughs) Well, that might affect the, uh, the answer, of course. There's some people I wouldn't want to have to taste my cooking. <laughs> um, um, look, in answering the question, I'd be concerned that there might be a clash of personalities. So I think respect for differing opinions would have to be the first item on the menu. As long as that is respected and understood by all members, I'm going to invite to my dinner Jesus, the pro, the Prophet Muhammad, Leonardo da Vinci, Mahatma Gandhi, Stephen Fry, Michelle Obama, Amelia Earhart, and also my mate Dan, who I lost a couple of years ago at 33 years old. Just an amazing dude who would actually be the binding of all of those people. And I think that would be an And I, for those who are good at maths, I'm not great at maths. To be honest, I told you I'm rubbish at investment management. But um, that's more than five, I know, and I apologize for that. But but you need but you you need your mate to be there to be the mediator because there'll be some fairly um, good conversations coming out of that group. <laughs> yeah, he's the kind of bloke that everybody just yeah you just fell in love with him. Amazing guy, I miss him a lot. So and I think there's some incredible leaders um, in that group who might have differing opinions, and it would be interesting to see how they reflected with that overarching importance of respect of other decisions of other opinions rather yeah Um, well mate yeah as i thought as i thought this would be a fascinating conversation i'm glad we've got to do it um and um yeah i really appreciate your time and thanks for coming on the podcast and look forward to Coming down to the cottage at some stage where my, my schedule just eases up a little bit and I can get come down and, you know, for anyone that hasn't experienced the cottage, I'm sure you can ring the, the office and, and organise a tour, um, even might be able to get some fantastic morning tea down at the cottage. Best view in Victoria overlooking the, the heads and that we can, as you lift your head, you can see the reflections in your glasses, mate, and it's a, it's a magnificent a, a magnificent view. So thanks for sharing your story um, and the story of the cottage, and I really appreciate your time, mate. Thank you. Thank you, Warren. I appreciate it, and thanks for doing – thanks for being an ambassador. Uh, my, my absolute privilege. Thanks, mate. Cheers. See you, mate. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast and I appreciate any feedback and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast.